I, I believe uh, when we started our series, The Characters of Easter, in the month of February, uh, I was challenged in my study time because I really used that first Sunday on February the 28th to talk about the sovereignty of God, that, that God is in control, Jehovah is in control. And we preached and we sort of laid a foundation and now these last several weeks we have, we've talked about the Apostle Peter and John and Thomas. Uh, last week we talked about religious folks, uh, people that care more about religion than they do about relationship and that causes a whole lot of problems. So today I've entitled the message simply, The Ground is Level at the Cross. So it doesn't matter our background, the color of our skin. It doesn't matter the language that we speak. What matters is that the ground is level. And I'm very grateful to be a part of a church that believes that particular truth. But today, the most important character of Easter is not the Easter bunny. It's not a basket. It's not a chocolate bunny. It is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were so many passages of Scripture that I could have used, first of all, today, but I, I landed my plane on Revelation chapter 5. So if you'll notice with me on the screen behind me, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, there's so many directions I could go from these two verses, but I believe the Lord had me to sort of bring to our attention today every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. Why? The ground is level at the cross. And the blood of Jesus ransomed us. It rescued us. And so by this ransom, by the blood, for everyone is because Jesus willingly and obediently went to the cross. No, nobody hung Jesus on the cross. He willingly went to the cross according to Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, is for us this morning on Easter 2021. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, or Messiah Yeshua, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is rich with imagery. This is rich with truth that our Savior was willing to be a servant doesn't make sense. Any other major world religion today, that the, the Savior does not become a servant. They want to be served. But Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to be a servant. And then he was born in the likeness of men. He was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. Then he was found in a human form, and he humbled himself in such a way that he was sinless. He was perfect, and then he died on the cross. He was willing to lay down his life for me. He was willing to lay down his life for you. Once again, the ground is level at the cross. And throughout time, especially the last 2,000 years, a lot has been written about the author and the responsibility of Jesus' death. And the responsibility of the crucifixion has spread more widely than just one group of people. We know that Judas was moved by greed, 30 pieces of silver. 
The priest by envy, Pilate by fear, the crowd who worked themselves up into a frenzy by hysteria. The soldiers did what they did because it was their duty. Yet this is the, only the human side of the story. So I want you to think creatively with me this morning. What, what if the divine and the human causes of the crucifixion were brought together? Did you know that it is in Scripture? Notice with me on the screen again, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, of course, this is part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He said it was the deliberate plan and foreknowledge of God for things to happen the way that they happened. And I love it when the Bible is simple. It doesn't have to be so hard and difficult that only those with a doctorate can understand it. No, there are times when it's put down on the lower shelf that any one of us from a child on up can understand and pick the fruit. And that's exactly what Paul does in his first letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where Paul wrote, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, this was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah and countless other Old Testament passages that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So what is the truth? And I believe that we see laid out for us several different truths that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand. The first one is what I would call a central truth of first importance. Joe and I have been married 28 years. We have a 15-year-old, we have a 6-year-old. Many of you are aware of that. So I have some things that are of first importance in my life. Most of all, it's my relationship with Jesus. Secondly, it's my relationship with my wife. Then my relationship with my kids. Then my relationship with my extended family. Then my relationship with my church family. All of us have central truths that sort of direct our lives of first importance. Well, secondly, it's what I call a historical truth. I love history. And if you and I will not learn from history, we are doomed to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. But the historical truth that Paul leads us to believe is that it's not myth, but a verifiable historical event. That is the cross of Calvary. Pinpointed on the calendar. That when Jesus Christ died on the cross, B.C. and A.D. came to pass. Before Christ and after his death. So there is central, there is historical, and thirdly, there is physical truth. Yes, Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and then he rose from the grave to demonstrate a physical reality of resurrection. Recently, I've been doing some graveside services because of COVID, and a lot of the funeral homes are still under protocol, and you can only have so many people in the room and that type of thing. So a lot of people make the decision to have outside services or a graveside. And what's been a blessing to me as your pastor is that most of these individuals, to God be the glory, they're saved. They already know the Lord. And so I'm able to give their family hope. The hope of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection because their loved one believed in the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, there's central, historical, and physical truth, but I think this is sort of the bow on the top of the gift. It's biblical truth. This is according to the Scriptures. And so I believe for us today, on Easter 2021, we need to go back to what God's Word says. What does the truth of the Scriptures teach us? And if we say that we believe it, will we now receive it? 
and receive it into our lives and transform us from death to life. I want to close our time together in these next 10 minutes or so, and I want to, I want to act like I'm a lawyer. I, I had a little bit of an aspiration years ago that maybe law school could be part of that because I love to talk. And then the Lord says, no, I want you to go into the ministry. And so I use that talking ability now to tell people about Jesus. But for just a moment, I want to pretend that I'm an attorney and I want to give you a closing argument. I want you to understand that I'm now trying that you as the jury to say, yes, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So let's start with our, our first point in our closing argument. First of all, without the physical resurrection, 2,000 years of history are left begging for an explanation like a movie missing a key scene. I, I, when I was a little boy, uh, we, we didn't have remote controls. We didn't have dishes in our backyard. We didn't have all the technology that we have today. In fact, I was the remote control. My dad would tell me to get up and go and turn the channel. And we only had three and a half channels. And it was just a different day. Well, today there's literally hundreds or thousands of channels that we have an opportunity to watch. But if you're watching a program, we can just hit the pause button. We can go to the refrigerator. We can go and take care of business. We come back. We hit the button, and we pick right back up where we were. Well, if Jesus Christ and his resurrection aren't true, then there is a key scene that's missing. Because the last 2,000 years, it's been revealed to us. It's been preached to us. It's been taught to us. And there's been no other event in recorded human history that's reached so far across national, ethnic, religious, linguistic, cultural, political, and geographic borders. This gospel has spread with unreasonable success because of 12 guys, and one of them was a betrayer from the Hebrew people, and they came forth and they shared this gospel because they were radically transformed. And even at the time, ancient Rome and its kingdom was there in Israel, but yet they shared the gospel. Why? Because of my second point in my closing argument, Jesus was a real person in history who died. And it's not just the veracity of Scripture and what we read in the New Testament. No, we also see historical documents from Josephus and others that are extra-biblical that let us know from these multiple sources, Jewish historians that describe a man named Jesus who lived and was executed. Yes, he really died. He was not just unconscious on the cross. He really died. Which leads us and segues into our third point. The early accounts of the resurrection and prophecies predicting it were reliably transmitted through history. My journey to Israel in the fall of 2019 has forever changed my life. When I read the Bible now, it leaps off the page because I was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was there at the Western Wall. I was there in those places where Jesus walked. And as of last year, there are some 66,000 early manuscripts of the Word of God. It's more than all the other ancient texts put together. And many are carbon dated to before Jesus' time on earth and then the few centuries after. So what do we see? We see unaltered manuscripts that throughout time memorial that the Bible that we now hold in our hand is the Word of God. What about the disciples? Well, after Jesus' violent death, his followers were frightened and scattered. I've taught in men's Bible studies over the years, sort of like John's doing right now with Man Church on Wednesday night. Many of you are a part of that Bible study. 
And they'll sort of bow up a little bit and they'll let their testosterone sort of show and they'll go, you know what? If I'd have been there in that garden that day, I would have helped Peter cut off Malchus's ear. I would have drawn my sword as well. And I wouldn't have left Jesus. Well, that's what got them in trouble. They kept saying, oh, no, I'll be here with you, Jesus. Everybody else will leave you, but I'll hang out with you. No, more than likely, we would have run scared with the rest of them. But then, on the third day, Resurrection Sunday, everything changed in the heart and life of the disciples. What did they see? Now they were willing to die for what they had seen. Here you and I are 2,000 years later, and we believe by faith. And yet... There's a boldness that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit even now. Let me tell you what 32 years of the ministry has taught me. People usually do not die for a lie. They'll die for the truth. And that's exactly what the martyrs, the early disciples did. That after the resurrection, they began to take the gospel to India. They took the gospel up into Europe. They took the gospel into Turkey. They took the gospel all over, all over the continents. And every one of them laid down their life as a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ, save the Apostle John, who wrote the words of Revelation in First and Second and Third John in the Gospel of John on the island of Patmos. So yes, we know people usually do not die for a lie. So what changed them? The same power that changed them changes us. And maybe you're here this morning and you've really been wrestling with this belief. You've been wrestling with this, is this the truth or is it not? So why was there not evidence at the time to undermine that belief and then they would have walked away completely? Because it was the truth that Jesus did die and Jesus did rise from the grave. Which leads us to our fifth point. The resurrection creates this connection to God that is received by people from all time and all cultures and socioeconomic statuses and personalities, mental capacities across the last 2,000 years. I, I love to read biographies especially of those in the political realm, uh, those in the theological realm. I, I, I just, I'm drawn to that. And I'll get to like chapter 10 or chapter 12 or chapter 14, whatever it may be, and I'll, I'll read that this person, this, this man or this woman who, who, who has been an influencer in our nation's history or in world history, they had received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I said, man, what makes that connection? It is the resurrection that makes that connection. It is the resurrection that makes all of it possible. For every one of us in this room that are a changed man or woman, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has done that. It's not because you reached down and pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. It was not just fate. No, you were willing to make a decision for the one who made a decision to go to the cross for you. That's what this is all about. Number six, the resurrection is God's direct supernatural action in a specific physical event in history. So there's this obvious finality of physical death, both by modern science and to the ancient world, that highlights the role of God in the moment of resurrection. You see, Jesus had told his disciples, boys, i got to leave you. And I'm going to leave you, but it's needful that I leave you because then I can send you the Holy, Holy Spirit. I can send you the Holy Ghost. I've got, this has got to happen the way that it's planned out by Almighty God. And friend, here we are, a recipient of grace and mercy from the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Seventh and finally, 
The entire Christian faith hinges on the physical death and resurrection of Jesus. Just listen to me for just a moment if you've not caught anything else. If Jesus didn't die on the cross and wasn't raised from the grave, I'm wasting your time. And you're wasting mine. Every theological institution needs to close if the resurrection is not truth. Southern needs to close. New Orleans needs to close. Mid-America needs to close. All of our, all of our uh, schools of higher learning that, that are teaching preacher boys how to come and share the good news of Jesus, they need to shut down because Christianity hinges upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one guy in particular that keeps jumping out at me, and maybe you can relate to him, the Apostle Peter. Man, this guy had failure after failure after failure, yet God chose to use him anyway. Sort of what he did with me. Maybe it's what he wants to do with you. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes these words. That he committed no sin. Of course, this is in reference to Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Wow. You know, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah chapter 53 that, that he was not willing to speak. He, he, he didn't cry out. He didn't retaliate. And, and I want to tell you, as your pastor, I'm not there yet. You, you hurt Joe, I'm going to hurt you. You hurt one of my kids, I'm going to retaliate. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that I'm right, I'm just saying I'm human. But Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He says, I trust God. I trust Jehovah. I trust the one who put me here in my mother's womb and then lived a sinless life and then died a vicarious death and then experienced a glorious, miraculous resurrection. He said, I believe. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. I love that word healed. I've, I've prayed for people to be healed for the last 30 plus years. People that have been maybe diagnosed with cancer. Uh, people that are walking through uh, some struggle. And I've prayed for people to be healed. I've anointed people with oil. I've seen people rise up from a bed of affliction. Yes, by his wounds we're healed. But you know what else that word healed means? It means saved. By his wounds I've been saved. The Greek word is sozo. And it means Salvation. And the wounds that come from the body of Jesus that shed that precious blood, you and I can have our sins washed away and we can be healed and saved by the wounds. Today, friend, would you be willing to trust God? No matter what station in life you find yourself, whether you're young or old or somewhere in between, would you call out to Him today and be set free? Paul... Again, he likes to put it on the lower shelf, and he does so again in Romans 1. He says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead. That Jesus is not just the son of God, he is the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. That the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what you need. Sometimes we read the Bible and it's dry, and we'll go, man, it doesn't really, it's not speaking to me. Well, that spirit of holiness will help you to understand what the scriptures are trying to teach us. I try to tell and teach 
our two children, Zeke and Danny, just always tell Daddy the truth. Because if you ever tell me a story, it's going to be hard for me to trust you. And it's going to take a while for you to earn that trust back. So go ahead and just tell Dad and Mom the truth. And we may still get after you because we loved you. But it's going to be twice or three or four times as bad if you lie about it. And if you tell me a story or you try to manipulate, just, just, just tell Daddy the truth. You know, it's the truth that will set you free. And there are some of us in this room, and we've been wrestling with truth for a very long time. And some of us don't like the truth. We would rather live in a fantasy world. And I'm going to ask you today with this last quote, I greatly rejoice in the certain triumph of the truth. We are living in a world of moral relativism. We are living in a world of cancel culture. We are living in a world that says, you know what, you disagree with me, you don't believe it my way, just go on. I, I think you can have dialogue. And some of my greatest conversations that I've had from a religious perspective have been individuals that disagree with me passionately, and I disagree with them passionately. But I can have a cup of coffee, and I can have a conversation. Today, friend, Easter should be the beginning, and especially as COVID begins to be something in our rearview mirror, hopefully in the coming months, and things that we've all been facing the last 13 months, that we can now move forward again, we need to start telling people about Jesus again. But even more powerful than our words is how we live. Let the truth dictate to you how you live.